One of the things that you need to know about me is that I absolutely love to read. It is rare that you will find me with less than three books on my bedside table at any one point. And that's great news for you because I'm always reading and learning stuff which I can then pass on to all of you. And this week, I want to share with you four books that I think it's worth every single one of us reading or listening to, if that's more your bag, because the lessons that they contain are invaluable. So I'm going to be sharing those books with you today, along with the key lessons that I have learned myself from each and every one of these brilliant books. Cannot wait to get into this one. Welcome to the Busy Woman's Guide to Fitness and Wellness, a space where we celebrate you exactly as you are right now, while also looking at realistic and achievable ways that you can increase your fitness, improve your nutrition, and bring more wellness into your busy schedule. We tackle a whole range of subjects from diet culture and healthy weight loss, right through to how to stay motivated, reduce stress, balance fitness and life, and ways to get the most out of your fitness routine. This is your weekly dose of inspiration and motivation. Perfect if you're a busy woman who sometimes struggles to find time for yourself and who would love to develop a positive mindset and a consistent fitness and wellness routine. I'm Alex, your host, women's fitness and wellness coach, founder of ChickFit, mum of two, lover of chocolate, wine and exercise and believer that we can all find balance in our busy lives. Well, hello there. We are rapidly approaching the end of 2023 right now. And so I wanted to use this week and next week just to share a few little things with you, kind of a wrap up of the year, if you will. So today it's all about lessons that I've learned from four of my very favorite books. And then next week, which is going to be the final episode of this year, I'm going to be bringing together my favorite lessons from the podcast this year, I'm putting them all into one lovely little package for you. So think of it as my Christmas gift to all of you. And before I get started today, I also want to share something really exciting with you that's coming up next year, which is that I am soon going to be launching my brand new podcast membership. Now, this basically means that you'll soon be able to sign up for some really invaluable exclusive content that will only be available to my podcast members. Now, There's going to be a free tier where you can get early access to all of my episodes, so you get them 24 hours before general release. And there's also going to be a premium tier where on top of that early access, you are going to get an extra Monday motivation episode each week, which is all about getting you fired up, motivated and inspired for the week ahead. And I know it is something that you are absolutely going to love. Those episodes are going to be short and sweet and just right to help you get that fire in your belly and ready to get to work on your fitness and well-being. So absolutely perfect for the new year, right? I will also create a meditation or visualization for you each month as part of that package as well. And at less than a five a month, it's going to be worth every single penny. So like I say, that is coming up really, really soon, along with lots more in the new year as well, including a new intake for Power Up Your Perimenopause course and a new 28-day nutrition reset that will be happening in January as well. So keep your eyes peeled for details on all of those coming your way in the very near future. Right. Right, let's get onto this week's episode. Now, as you may already know, I love, love, love to read. I love a good novel, but I'm also a huge fan of self-improvement books as well, which is amazing for you because it means that I'm always learning new things to pass on to you. But I also think that there are certain books which are invaluable, really invaluable for all of us to read. And I wanted to share a few of those with you today. So these are ones that I've read over the last few years, and they're the ones that 
I tend to go back to time and time and time again. They're the ones that I've learned so much from. They're the ones that I go back and I read through them and I'm like, oh, I've learned something new. I've picked up something new that I didn't see last time. So these these are the books that really, really have spoken to me, really resonated with me and, and that I found really useful in terms of the work that I do as well with my clients and my members. So I'm going to share those with you along with a couple of the key lessons that I've actually learned from each of those books personally as well. Well, of course, they contain so, so, so much more as well, but I'm sharing with you the bits that have resonated with me the most. Now, what I will do, um, obviously, I'm going to tell you what these books are now, but I will also share the titles of them and the authors of them into the show notes as well so that you can go and buy them for yourself. I don't know. I mean, I'm a re- I'm a real reader. Like I absorb stuff best by actually reading it. I know some of you are more in favour of audio and, you know, getting it on your what's it called? I don't even know what it's called because <laughs> I never use it. I used to I used to have books that I listened to, but I realised I wasn't really taking them in so much. So whatever app you use to listen to books on, you can download them on that as well. So the first one, and this is one I actually bought years and years and years ago and, and had a massive impact on me personally. And it's called Rushing Woman's Syndrome, The Impact of a Never-Ending To-Do List and How to Stay Healthy in Today's Busy World. And it's by Dr. Libby Weaver. Like I say, I think I've read this about three or four times because it contains so, so much valuable information. It is the kind of book where you feel like you learn something brand new each and every time you read through it. So she covers lots of things like why women rush, why we are tired but wired, what's going on with our nervous system, the hormonal havoc that all of this causes, the digestive issues that we get as a result as well. And, you know, how, of course, how we can actually start to create more calm in our lives. And I think this has been really, really, really informative for me because I read this at a time in my life where there was definitely too much rush. There was definitely too much on the to-do list. There was definitely too much stress. And I started reading through that and I realised... I needed to start making some changes within my own life. And it was really, really valuable to me in terms of getting me started on that road. And here's what she says in the in the introduction, because I want to share this with you, because I think that it will probably really speak to a lot of you, if not all of you. So she says, never before in my work have I witnessed so many females in such an intense rush to do everything and be all things to all people. Never before have I seen the extent of reproductive system problems that I now see. Women are wired, many of them are tired too, tired yet wired. And this relentless urgency, this perception that there is not enough time combined with a never-ending to-do list is having significant health consequences for many women. She goes on to say that all of this is contributing to a rise in things like PCOS, infertility, and debilitating menopause symptoms as well, because it really plays havoc on our hormones, right? Not to mention exhaustion and the mental health aspect of this as well. And, you know, the the way that I see it kind of show up is that women f- constantly feel like they're not enough. They're not doing enough. They've not got enough time. They're not thin enough. They don't look good enough. You know, all of these things are going on and it's having a really, really detrimental effect on us and how we feel about ourselves. And I think that a lot of it has got to do with this, like she says, this sense of urgency, this sense of rush that we all have, this sense of there's never enough time to do all the things and I need to do more and more and more and more. 
And it's really, it's really damaging. It's really damaging to us in terms of our mental health, but also our physical health as well and the way that we feel day to day. And, you know, one of the things for me, you know, particularly around the menopause symptoms, for example, is that, you know, I feel like an awful lot of us are suffering more than we need to because of the level of stress in our lives. And that's not to, you know, make you feel bad. That's not for you to sit there and go, oh, well, you know, what does she know? What does she understand? But it's it's a fact, right? It is a fact that all of this rush, all of this trying to do too much and be all things to all people is really affecting our health and is affecting things like menopause symptoms and making them a lot, lot worse than they might otherwise be. And I, one of the great things about the book is that she really talks about, you know, why are we here? Why have we got into this situation where women in particular are suffering from all these things? And, and you know, the other thing as well is that the vast majority of people who have ongoing illnesses um, and, you know, chronic illnesses is women, you know, something like 80% of the people who have, don't quote me on that number, by the way, <laughs> I'm drawing this out. It was something that sort of popped into my head as I was talking. So, so I'm sort of drawing this out of my memory, but it is something ridiculous, like 70 or 80% of, of people who have chronic disease are women, right? And this is not, you know, it's not necessarily because of our physiology as such, Okay, and it's not a coincidence that that has gone hand in hand with, with this rise in the rush, the constant rush to do, and the constant feeling like we've not got enough time. And like I say, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. And I think that's really important to differentiate that it's not our fault because you know we live in a society that demands this of us and, and demands an awful lot of us. And and this book talks about that as well but it is our responsibility to do something about it because nobody is coming to change it for us, right? We have to take control. We have to start doing these things for ourselves. And, you know, like I say, it was one of the, the first books that I read that started to really tune me into the work that I personally needed to do. And I sort of sat there and thought, ah, oh, right, I've I've got to start taking responsibility for myself. I've got to stop blaming everything outside of me and saying, well, it's, you know, it's because I've got young kids and it's because I've got, I'm trying to run a business and it's because I'm trying to do all these things and it's too much and it's too much and it's too much. And I was like, no, you have to start taking responsibility and you have to start doing something for yourself. And it was a huge game changer for me from that point of view. And I think the irony of it is, I was as I was kind of like putting together my notes for this episode, I was like, ironically, I know what's going to happen is that I'm going to talk about this book and a lot of you are going to sit there thinking, but I don't have time to read. <laughs> Because that's what people say to me all the time. Like, oh, I just don't have time to read these days. Or you'll be like, do you know what? I'll just get it on the audio so I can listen to it while I'm doing other things. And I think that was one of the biggest things from the book is like, stop trying to do everything all at once. Like if you're sitting on the toilet, catching up with your emails, thinking that you are making great use of time, actually, you're just, it, it, it's becoming really damaging that you're doing that and we're, we're feeling like we've got to do two things at once all the time. And, you know, I certainly find this, that, you know, particularly if I'm I'm watching something and I'm like, oh, I'll just do this other thing at the same time. I'll just catch up with this email and stuff. It's like, no, we've got to learn to focus on one thing at a time. And, you know, I think if we can give ourselves that time to read, even if it's only like 10 minutes a day, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I don't read during the day at all because, you know, I've got other things that I need to be doing, but I always, always read before I go to bed. And I think that every single one of us can make 10 minutes before we go to bed because let's face it, how many of us sit there on our phones in bed and they were like, oh, but I don't have time to read. <laughs> so 
if you've got time to look at your phone, you've got to, you've got time to read for ten minutes. I promise you. So that was one of the, the the big lessons from the book was like let's stop trying to flip and multitask all the time and think we're superior because we can do that because it's not serving us. But there were some other really interesting things. Like I say, there's, there's so much contained within this book, which is why I want you all to go out and read it. But these were three of the things that I think I found particularly interesting and I think you will find particularly interesting in the book. The first one is that many of us are hyper-focused on weight loss, right? Worrying that in spite of feeling like we're doing all the right things, our weight is going up and up and we feel out of control with it. And I know that because a lot of people say that to me. They're just like, doesn't seem to matter what I do. The weight just keeps going on. But the point this book makes is that if our bodies are getting the message all day, every day that our lives are in danger, then they don't want to use fat for fuel. And of course, we sit there going, oh, well, I need a better diet. I need a different exercise regime. But the truth is that what we actually need to do is slow down and find some calm. And as she says herself, this is a direct quote from the book, what women need first is to stop dieting because this becomes another source of stress for us. So this is really important. And there's so much that's wrapped up in this because I know it is not as simple as saying, oh, you just got to stop focusing on weight loss because it is really important to a lot of us. And if we're getting bigger, if we're putting weight on and we feel like we're, we're doing all the right things and nothing is happening, then it can start to be become all-consuming, right? It can start to really affect how we feel about ourselves. So I know that weight loss is big and I know that it's it's not as simple as just, oh, I'll just stop focusing on it at all, right? Because that's that's going to be really hard to do. And there are, you know, I've I've created, in fact, one of my recent episodes is all about how we can stop focusing so much on this and why we need to. But I but I think it's it's more the approach to it that needs to change. It's not another diet, it's not restricting, it's not cutting out all sugar, it's not trying to be in inverted commas good every day. It's actually looking at the entirety of our lives, looking at the rush, looking at the exercise, looking at the ways that we're looking after ourselves. And where we can bring more calm into our lives, then not only do we stand a better chance of losing fat, but we also stand a better chance of probably just eating better and doing more exercise and all of those kind of things that are going to contribute towards it as well, because we've got the time and the space to enable us to do that. So that was the first thing. I think the second sort of lesson, which, which I also, which is kind of connected to the first one, really, is that when we are in a state of elevated cortisol all the time, and cortisol is our stress hormone, so if we are always rushing around, our cortisol is always high, then this actually interferes with the production of the active fat-burning thyroid T3, the, the thyroid hormone. This, in turn, slows down our metabolism. At the same time, because we're stressed, our body is being urged to break down muscle to provide glucose for the brain. And when we lose muscle, that also slows down a metabolic rate even further. So the more we are releasing cortisol on a consistent basis, the more likely we are metabolism is to slow down, not just for one reason, but for multiple reasons as well. And then we're like, oh, and why am I not losing weight? And part of it is this. Okay, all this panic, all this like fear we have around putting weight on, all of this worry and restricting and, and going from binge to restrict and back again is playing absolute havoc. And I think that we tend to try and look for one simple solution. But the truth is that for many of us, it's actually widened. It's, it's looking at our whole lifestyle. It's looking at everything. It is looking at everything, you know, every part of it, and not necessarily working on it all at once because that in itself is stressful, but acknowledging that 
actually, there are probably bigger things that we need to do. There are big things that we need to, you know, really focus on that are going to help us with all of those other things as well. And then I think the the final lesson, and I, this is important, I say this, is that it is absolutely possible to reduce the rush, even when it doesn't feel like it. And that, you know, essentially when we start to tell ourselves different stories, when we start to come at things from a different perspective, we can find so much more calm and therefore better health as a result. And I, and this is one of those things where it's it's not to say, oh, it's all in your mind. That's not what this is at all. But what it is to say is that actually, if we can start to change our perspective, if we can start to change the stories we tell ourselves about what's possible for us and where we're at and who we are and, you know, all of those kind of things, if we can start to change those things, we can start to create more space and calm in our lives. Because a lot of the stories we tell ourselves are about how busy we are. And if you keep focusing on something, that will continue to be the case. So if you're, if, Every time you meet up with a friend and they say, how are you? Oh my God, manic, manic, so busy. And then every day we're like, oh my God, I can't do that because I'm too busy. Or I've already got loads on or, you know, all of these things that are going on. And if that's the story over and over and over again, we just start to bring more and more and more and more of that into our lives. So we've got to start looking at how can we, how can we change this story? How can we find this different perspective? So like I say, there's loads more on that in this book. And I think it's incredibly interesting, I, it, particularly the stuff around hormones and how they get affected by, by this kind of constant rush and constant stress. But it is a hugely, hugely valuable book. And I would, you know, I feel like every one of us should have a copy <laughs> that we can refer back to. So go buy it for yourself. Go put it on your Christmas list, whatever but definitely one for you to dive into. Right, the second one is called Stop Saying You're Fine, The No BS Guide to Getting What You Want by Mel Robbins. Now, I love the work of Mel Robbins. She is, she's just one of those people who tells it like it is, but she also does it with like real compassion thrown into the mix as well. So she really gets her message across. She really, she makes you kind of sit up and go, oh, right, yeah, actually, you're right. <laughs> I've been telling myself this one thing, but actually the truth is something very different. So she's got a really great way of of like bringing you into a place where you can like really acknowledge your stuff and you can really get to work on it, but with plenty of compassion as well. She's also got a great podcast, which is really worth a listen to as well. So I definitely go and look for Mel Robbins um, on your podcast player and download some of those because they're really, really useful. I listen to them sometimes as well. They're really, really good. And, you know, this book is it's sort of a little bit connected to the last one because, you know, it, it talks a lot about that never-ending to-do list, but it it's a bit more focused towards, you know, finding fulfillment in your life, discovering what you want in your life and those kind of things. And it, yes, again, it had so, so much in it that I absolutely loved because when I was going through these books to kind of make my notes, <laughs> what, I, what I do is either I highlight certain sections or I turn over the bottom corner of the, the page that's got something interesting on it. And I was like, bloody hell, <laughs> I've turned over loads of corners on this book so I can go back to it. So there was obviously a lot of stuff that I was reading and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And so loads and loads of stuff that that I found really, really interesting in this. But I'm going to share three of the main lessons with you from this book because I cannot go into all of it. It would take all flipping day. So the first one was about resolutions, was, uh, you know, about the fact that, you know, it quotes a study that 88% of people fail to keep their resolutions. Um, I think it was talking about New Year's resolutions. 
we all know that, right? We all know that most New Year's resolutions or resolutions um, full stop do not actually happen. But, you know, it's a massively high number, isn't it? And the standard thing is you choose something you want to do, you try it a few times, you fail, you get sidetracked, you start telling yourself you don't have enough time, all the, you know, all the usuals. And then we end up not doing it. But the point that she makes is that literally nobody feels like doing the work to change, right? That change is hard. And most of us, well, in fact, all of us do not want to do the work to change because it feels hard. But powerful people do it anyway. And as she says, that that becomes the ultimate difference between those who keep getting stuck and those who actually make things happen in life. Those are the people who take action regardless of whether they feel like it or not. And this is really the point of this book. It's helping you to discover how to be more powerful and how to know that there is not some magical gene that successful people have that the rest of us lack. It's literally that flipping attitude from not wanting to do it and therefore just not doing it and going, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. This feels horrible. To not wanting to do it, but doing it anyway and saying, well, actually, bigger picture here. If I don't do this thing, I will never get what I want. But if I start taking action today, then I will eventually get what I want. Maybe not straight away, but eventually I will get there. And I think that's the thing. I think that we can often sit there and assume that other people just have it easier or other people just are magically motivated or they magically want it more than we do. But it's not true. It's just that that those people who are getting the things done and getting the things they want are the people who have sat there and gone, well, look, I don't particularly feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know that this is what needs to happen. And I think that that for me was the first, was one of the, the sort of biggest messages from it. Another thing she talks about is how most of us go to massive lengths to preserve the status quo in our lives, even when we can't stand what that status quo is. And this is something I have definitely talked about quite a lot before, you know, that this identity thing, how we have a certain identity, we, we feel a certain way about ourselves. And even if that identity is not serving us particularly, we will hold on to it for dear life. We will fight, 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 fight to hold on to that identity for ourselves and to preserve the status quo and to keep things exactly as they are. One example that she quotes is that, for example, if you were struggling to lose weight, you might actually be trying to hold on to your freedom to eat whatever the hell you want. So even though you keep saying to yourself, but I want to lose weight and I'll feel better when I lose weight and I really want to lose weight, there's something inside of you that's going, yeah, but then you might never be able to eat the things you want again. And it really, really holds you back. And often we can, we make more effort to actually preserve the status quo than it would have taken to just do the thing <laughs> because it feels safer to stay the same, even when it's not serving us. So it's really about recognizing this and, you know, seeing that if we do genuinely want something to change, then we, we just need to start taking action straight away before we have the opportunity to start sabotaging ourselves again. But yeah, that was really interesting because like I say, it's something, you know, particularly wrapped up with our identity that I do talk about a lot is that fight to hold on to what we've got because that is what feels safe. And that's why sometimes even though something feels like the right thing to do and, and you know, intellectually is something that we know we should be doing and we want to do, it doesn't all it doesn't always make it easy to do the thing, right? And then the last thing that I want to share with you is a quote. And I love this because again, it really 
matches up with a lot of what I talk about, right? And the quote is, if you're putting off action and waiting to feel motivated, you're never going to do anything because motivation comes from taking action. Remember that your brain is an excuse machine. Your brain's natural love for stories comes with a plausibility bias. If the excuse you've invented sounds halfway plausible, you'll buy it, especially when it means getting out of doing something that feels risky. Delaying is one of the primary tools resistance uses to keep you stuck. So basically saying, you know, you keep delaying it, you keep going, well, I'll do it when I feel more motivated or I'll do it when I finish this project of work or I'll do it when everything gets a bit calmer or I'll do it in the new year, whatever that thing is. We're just using delaying tactics to keep us stuck. You know, it's like we're resisting doing the thing. And so we we find excuse after excuse after excuse, basically. So, well, it'll be better to do it when I've got more time. It'll be better to do it in the new year. I'll be more motivated when this happens. And we keep basically inventing excuse after excuse as to why now is not the time to take action. And we sit there waiting to feel motivated. And I've talked about this a lot. You know, a lot of people say to me, oh, I've lost my motivation. What do I do? And the answer, <laughs> the simple answer is, just do the thing. Stop faffing around, sitting there, feeling sorry for yourself, thinking, oh, why don't I feel motivated? I really want to feel motivated. Why don't I feel that? And, you know, we get all down on ourselves and we get upset about it or annoyed about it or frustrated about it. And we then start to feel sorry for ourselves. And we go into that little bubble of like, oh, poor old me. When the truth of it is, we just need to do the bloody thing. We just need to do the thing because otherwise we're never going to feel motivated or it'll be fleeting. You know, if it comes, it'll be fleeting and then it'll disappear again, right? If if we want to be powerful, if we want to change something about our lives, we, we have to stand up and take responsibility for that. And that was one of the big messages of that book. So those were three of the key things that I, I really took from that book. But again, go buy it. It's awesome. Right. The next one is called Just Eat It, How Intuitive Eating Can Help You Get Your Shit Together Around Food by Laura Thomas. Now, I recommend this book all the time to um, clients and members who are trying to extract themselves from diet culture and find a different way to eat. Now, intuitive eating basically means letting yourself eat whatever the hell you feel like. So if you wake up and you feel like eating five donuts, eat five donuts, it says. And that's what intuitive eating is. However, the idea is not that you wake up and you eat five donuts every day for the rest of your life. The idea is that you let go. You let go of all the rules, all the restrictions, like all of that stuff around food. And for a little while, you have to absolutely 100% let go of that, knowing that eventually your body will find its balance. Eventually your body will start to go, oh, hang on, maybe I don't feel so good when I have five donuts every single morning for breakfast. Uh, And maybe there would be a better option for me that would feel better and that would enjoy more and, you know, is going to feel good. So that's the idea of it. Now, you know, obviously that is a massively scary thing for most of us to do, right? Because you're going to be like, but I'll put all the weight on and I'll eat all the things and it's going to be uncontrollable. And, you know, all of these awful, awful, awful things are going to happen to me. So what I'm not necessarily saying is go out and buy it and start intuitive eating tomorrow (laughs) because, it's not as simple as that. And that's why there's a whole book on it, because it, it's really like talking you through the process and talking you through the thinking behind it. But I think this is one of those books that you can approach with curiosity. Like even if you are not going to do intuitive eating per se, there is so much good stuff in this book 
even if you're going to go down another route. So much stuff that like just really gets you thinking about your attitudes to food and your attitudes to yourself and how you can start to change those in order to find much more balance. And, and I think this is so, so, so important because I know that probably with the vast majority of you, if I said, go do intuitive eating, you'd be like, absolutely not, no way. No flipping way. Like we'd have to do an awful lot of work on ourselves before we could do that. But I think that it, this book has some really important tools in it. It has some really important things for you to think about. And when I actually, when I read this, I kind of realized that, you know, some of the stuff in here is, is stuff that I had been naturally doing for a while as I had been extracting myself from diet culture and getting into the place that I am right now where actually nothing is really off limits. Like I kind of just eat what feels good to me. And it is honestly an amazing place to be after so many years of dieting. Now, I didn't do intuitive eating. It was a gradual process. It was it was a process of gradual change for me. So I'm not, you know, like I say, I'm not saying to you, you must go out and do intuitive eating if you want to sort yourself out, because I have I have found my way another way. However, what I did realize was that, like I say, a lot of the stuff in that book is stuff that I had been doing myself um, and, and had really helped me to get into a good place. So it's a really good book to help you move towards things like limiting certain foods, um, feeling guilt for eating certain foods, following rules around food, um, emotional eating, um, and not trusting your body to tell you what, when, what, and how much to eat. And I think that most of us have some of that, right? And so I think a book like this is a really good place to start in terms of like weaning yourself off that, understanding why that happens and how you can you can find a different way because the truth is that so many of us have so, so, so many rules, so, so, so many rules. And one of the things that this book really talks about is that we've essentially lost trust and connection with our bodies when it when it comes to food, right? We can bounce between feeling super, super hungry and feeling overfull because we distrust those early hunger signals, which are the ones that we should have been listening to. And because we're also, you know, we'll say things to ourselves like, well, it's not time for lunch. I can't eat yet. I'm not hungry yet. Or not that I'm not hungry, but I don't, you know, I shouldn't be eating until at least one o'clock. That's when lunchtime is. Why would I be eating now? And or we start saying, oh yeah, but if I eat now, then I'll eat too much throughout the day and that'll be too many calories. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. We go down this whole rabbit hole because we, we've lost that trust and that connection. And actually, one of the really nice things in the book is that there is a really useful scale on there that talks you through like how to discover where your hunger actually sits on that scale. And, you know, when is the right time to eat? And when is the time that you've actually left it for too long? Um, because actually when we leave it too long to eat, what happens is we end up reaching for the sugar or we end up binging, right? And we all know that because we've all been there. And so it, this gives you some like really good tools for kind of measuring that and knowing where you are and, and starting to learn to listen. Because, you know, if I said to you, right, go away and just start listening to your body and eat according to what your body is telling you, the signals are going to be all over the shop which is why when people start intuitive eating, they go and they eat all the things, right? Because it's all over the shop. You have no flipping idea. But there are some really nice ways in this book of actually helping you to find that balance and to find like, okay, well, this is the kind of hunger that means that I should be eating. This is when I've allowed myself to get over hungry This and, and all of those things. So it's really, really useful around that. And obviously it also talks about the fact that, you know, many, if not most of our issues around food come from restriction right? From that restrict binge effect, like bouncing between not eating enough and eating way too much. It comes from the idea that certain foods are out of limits. 
which therefore gives them a high value, which means that when we eat them, we tend to go for it, right? It's that sense of, ooh, I can't have a packet of biscuits in the house because if I eat one, I'll eat all of them, right? That's a pretty good sign that you're you know, your trust in your body and yourself and your your eating are somewhat what what would the word be? Are somewhat not ideal. <laughs> that's that's what we'll go with. Are somewhat not ideal. Um so this is for me a really important book. This is for me a book that will help you loads. If you are in that place of feeling guilt around food, limiting certain foods, bouncing from restrict to binge all the time, following rules, eating emotionally, all of those things, this book absolutely is going to help you and has so, so much amazing stuff in it. So again, go buy a copy and get reading. Right, the final one, the last book, Atomic Habits. This is called an So it's called Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones by James Clear. Now, I love this book because honestly, it includes so many things that I work on with my clients and members all the time. Um, And what tends to happen when I read these books is I go through them and I'm like, oh, I already talk about that. I already talk about that. But then I will learn other new things that I will then sort of bring into what I do as well. And that's what this book had for me, basically, was a lot of things that I'd already been talking about for a really long time to my clients but I also learned new stuff from it as well. And, you know, the truth is we live in a world that wants fast results. We live in a world where we have to do all the things or we won't bother to do the thing at all. But what this book really does is show you how those tiny changes can lead to actually really, really remarkable results. And, you know, it talks about how so many of us make a few small changes. We maybe don't see the tangible results within a few weeks and then we give up because we feel like it's not working. But the truth is that we must persist with new habits a lot longer than we think to break through that plateau and start to get the results that we want. And, you know, I have situations with, um, you know, clients and members sometimes where they will, they'll come to me and they'll say, I've been doing this for four weeks and I'm not feeling any fitter and I'm still struggling with this. And this thing still, you know, hurts when I go up the stairs and I still get out of breath when I run for the bus and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, in those moments, I have to tell people, you've got to take a step back here. Got to take a step back. And what will have happened to those people before is that they've got to that point and they've had nobody to talk them down from the ledge and they've gone, well, what's the bloody point? What is the point of doing all this work if nothing is going to change? And then they stop. They just stop doing the thing because as far as they're concerned, they have failed. But the truth is they have not persisted long enough. They have not persisted long enough. And like I say, we need to persist with new habits a lot longer than we think we do to start to break through that plateau and start to get the results that we want. And like I say, when clients come to me and say that, it, it's about giving them a reality check and saying, so hang on a minute, you're telling me that that you've spent the last, let's say, three years not doing any exercise, not eating great, having too much stress in your life. You've come and you've started this thing, you've done it for six weeks and you're expecting that everything has changed. And then and they almost like take a breath and they go, oh, yeah, you're right, actually. Probably need to give it a bit longer, right? <laughs> it's like, yes, you do. You know, we can't neglect ourselves for for a really long time and then expect everything to change within a few weeks. We just can't. It's going to take longer than that, right? So as this book says, like most of us fail because we we do a few weeks worth, we don't see the results that we want, and then we give up. That's it. End of story. We need to keep going for a bit longer. We absolutely need to keep going for a bit longer. Now, a couple of things that um, I 
uh, sort of the big learnings in here for me, for you guys, is that we need to first of all identify as the person that we want to be. If we want to create new habits, healthy new habits, we need to identify as the person we want to be. So he gives the example of two smokers who are offered cigarettes. Smoker number one goes, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. Right. So when they're saying I'm trying to quit, it might sound like a good thing, but they still believe they are a smoker. They're somebody who is still a smoker and is trying, but is trying to quit being a smoker. Smoker number two says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Right. Smoker number two is changing their identity already, is identifying with not being a smoker. Right. And the issue is usually that we don't start to shift our identity. Right. We we stick with identity number one, smoker number one. I'm trying. I'm trying to get fitter. I'm trying to do more exercise. I'm trying to quit smoking, right? So we're still, we're still in that old identity. And even when good habits make rational sense to us, if they conflict with your identity, you will not put them into action. You will not put them into action. So you've got to start identifying as not, I'm trying to do more exercise or I'm trying to get fitter, but I am working on my fitness. That is the thing that you need to start saying to yourself, I am working on my fitness. I am already doing it. I am already in the identity of somebody who works on their fitness regularly. Because then every little action you take becomes a vote for the type of person you wish to become, right? But you've got to look at your identity around it. And, you know, if your identity, and I've talked about this, for example, if your identity is, I hate exercise, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think you're going to exercise regularly if your identity is, I hate exercise? Or do you think it's more likely to happen if your identity is, I'm working on my fitness. I'm working on my fitness and I'm trying things to see what I enjoy. That's going to be much more helpful to you in the long term. Something else he talks about is that as humans, we will do the thing that requires the least effort, right? We know that already, don't we? So if we set our sights too high, so for example, if we like, right, yeah, I'm going to start doing, I'm going to do 100 press-ups a day. That requires an awful lot of energy. After a few days, it becomes too much effort. But if you were to start with five press-ups a day, that's going to feel easier. That's going to require a lot less energy to get started with. You know, it's the same with, you know, I, I will always say to people when it comes to workouts, stop thinking you've got to do like five one-hour workouts a week. You probably will end up not, to, or you'll do it for a couple of weeks and then you will stop. I'm like, I'd much rather that you do two 20-minute workouts a week to start with and you start to put votes in into, I am somebody who works out regularly. I am somebody who shows up and who does the thing than somebody who oh, well, I'm, I'm trying, I've done, I've tried it and then it got too busy and I couldn't do it anymore, right? Now, the idea here is not to only do easy things, it's to make the things that you want to do as easy as possible to start making a habit. And he also says, you know, the habit must be mastered before it can be improved. So it might feel like just doing a five-minute workout is absolutely pointless. You might be like, well, I'm not going to get fitter just doing a five-minute workout. But the point is, you are mastering the habit of showing up and doing the thing. So rather than trying to engineer that perfect habit from the get-go, what you do is you do the thing that's easiest consistently, and then you begin to improve on that. So if you show up to do a workout every day for five days, even if that workout is two minutes long, then you're casting a vote for that new habit, that new identity. And the point at that point of it is not about getting in shape, it's about becoming the person that shows up and doesn't miss a workout. So you've got to master the habit before you can improve it. So stop trying to go all guns blazing, do all the things, do the five one hour long workouts a week and expect that that's just going to stick and that you're going to power your way through it. You're not. You, you're Eventually you're going to get tired of trying to do that thing and you're going to go, oh, I can't do it anymore. 
However, you may eventually build up to being able to do that, but you've got to start small. You've got to start with what's the habit that I want to start creating and how do I do that in the way that's easiest for me to do? How do I start proving to myself that I am the person that shows up and does the thing? Even if it feels like it's pointless, it's not. It is not. It is about creating that new habit and that new identity. Now, I could go in to so much more detail because there are so many other amazing lessons in this book. And I know if you listen to this podcast, you will love this book too, because a lot of the stuff in there, like say, is stuff that I talk about a lot as well. So I definitely would recommend going and listening to that, particularly, particularly if you're a person who's forever trying to create new habits and is trying to like do it perfectly from the very start and then finds that it doesn't last for very long, right? This is the book for you. This is the book for you. So there you have it. So four of my favourite books that I've read over the last few years, the ones that I go back to time and time again, the ones that I recommend to clients and members all the time, and ones that I highly, highly recommend for you to read too. I've put the titles into the show notes for you so you can go get hold of those. And I hope that you learn as much from them as I have over the years. Of course, I bring in a lot of what I've learned from these books into the podcast, but reading them just helps me to take it to that little level deeper and I cannot recommend them enough. So I hope you're going to go out and purchase at least one or two of those books, if not all. Pop them on your Christmas list, get into them, dig into them this Christmas time. Enjoy, learn lots from them. And yeah, let me know. Let me know what you think of those books. You can just find me over on my socials at Alex Chickfit and just let me know what you think. Right. With that, I'm going to leave you there. I think my time has come. <laughs> Can't get my words out anymore. It's time to go and have some lunch, I think. So yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. I am going to love you and leave you there and I will see you all again next week. Thank you so much for joining me today, beautiful people. If you have loved listening in and want to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, then simply subscribe or follow the podcast on your favourite podcast player right now. You can also come and join me on the socials at Alex Chick Fit and I'll see you again next time.